Get ready to be inspired by the great things happening in rural education. The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas and innovative solutions. We'll dive into education issues and we'll highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of educators, administrators, professionals, and others who will provide relevant and engaging content in each episode. And now, serving up the scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Seydorf. Well, I'm so glad that everybody's come back to hear about some more wonderful teachers that we have here in Arizona. And we are just really excited to have the Arizona Rural Schools Association 2023 Rural Teacher of the Year. And I just, I'm so looking forward to hearing more about what Allison is doing in her school and in her district and in her part of rural Arizona. And uh, I could not be more excited to uh, make sure that she has a, a platform to talk about all the amazing things that she's doing up there uh, with her students in, in Williams. Um, and I'm also pleased to introduce my co-host for this series of interviews, Ty White. And uh, I know that Ty is going to um, have some things that he wants to make sure that he's highlighting with Allison as well. As a, as a co-teacher, a fellow teacher here in rural Arizona, uh, they've had some great conversations already, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to the next uh, few minutes that we're spending uh, talking to her about uh, what's going on. So, Ty, introduce yourself. Hi. So... I'm Ty White. I'm glad to be here with you guys. And I think it's going to be pretty clear that my throat is not where it's supposed to be, but there's no way I wanted to miss this session with Allison. I know that there's a lot of people who feel like I do, that their state hosts a, a lot of diversity. There's a lot of different um, locations. There's a lot of different resources. But I mean, really, I teach down in the low desert and I try to take advantage of that with my science classes. Allison comes from the tall pines country up in the mountains of the north part of Arizona. There was no way that I wanted to miss this conversation where we get to talk about not just the diversity of Arizona, but the way teachers from different areas can use in-place resources to solve some of their challenges. Mm, good point. So our guest today is Allison Mikowski. I hope I said that right. You sure she, did. She is the 2023 Arizona Rural Teacher of the Year, like we said, and she teaches in Williams Unified School District. And beyond that, I'm going to let her introduce herself and sort of take that away. Thank you, Ty. Thank you, Melissa, for the lovely introduction and for having me here. Um, I am Allison Mikowski. I've been teaching at Williams Unified School District for six years now. Uh, I've been at the high school in my present role for the past two years, teaching English language arts, the honors course for ELA, college composition, economics, and government. So oh, wearing a lot wow. of hats. <laughs> But it's like you mentioned diversity, Ty. Um, I never get bored. So that's a good thing. I have a lot of, of subjects to teach. So it's always a fun experience to, to teach more than one subject. So I've been here six years. Prior to that, I taught for three years, almost three years at a private school in Flagstaff. And prior to that, I wasn't an educator by profession at all. So I did not come into teaching professionally until my mid-30s after a mid-professional uh, career change. Ooh, talk a little bit more about that. What did you do before you were an educator? 
<laughs> so this is an interesting story because the, when I talk about it, I sometimes wonder how did I get to all these different places and what was the point of all of it? But now that I'm helping high school seniors decide what they want to do after high school, they almost breathe a sigh of relief when they're like, wow, Miss M, you've had a lot of jobs. It's okay to not <laughs> stick with one thing forever. Um, so I started out as a journalist and I got a master's degree in journalism from Boston University, really loved writing, loved the media in terms of um, the accessibility to information that it could provide for people. However, the longer I was in it, I realized I wasn't really the right fit for media. I loved writing and telling stories and connecting with people, but I I didn't really love that industry for a lot of reasons. Um, so then I decided to go and try business. I had a writing background and a research background. So I went to work for an investment bank in, in New York City and I did compliance for that bank, which mm -hmm. gave me that inside look at how that industry runs, the investment banking and compliance industry. I was commuting in New York City back and forth every single day, and it just wasn't working. So um, I ended up closer to home at that point. I grew up in Connecticut, and um, I worked for a university after that, developing curriculum for a business school program. And that was really my first introduction to education, being able to combine the writing, research, and business skills to help MBA students earn their degree and go out into the world. Uh, it was a really cool experience to be able to combine those two disciplines into a job I absolutely loved. Um, and then we decided to move to Arizona because we love rural countryside. We wanted to be in a place where we could hike and hunt and fish and raise our son to appreciate the outdoors. So we uprooted ourselves from Connecticut as Connecticut natives, and we moved to Arizona about 15 years ago, and we've been here ever since. Wow, that is quite a story. <laughs> you started this by saying, my kids are excited to hear that it's okay to change. Yeah. But you just told a story where you went from driving into New York City on a daily basis. Yeah. Unrural as it can be. Unrural. <laughs> Being the Arizona Rural Teacher of the Year. Yeah, I know. I know. For that, urban, something like that, but I'd say unrural. I know. I was just talking to my students about it today because they're all thinking about what they want to do and, and they want to go places and experience different things. And we're working on taking trips with the students, taking them to D.C. Uh, there's a trip in the works to take our students to Italy next year, which I'm so excited wow. about. So really getting them out and exposing them. But we we all agreed. We were talking in this one table group. I said, you know, I've lived in Washington, D.C. I've lived in Boston. I've worked in New York. I, I will take Williams, Arizona any day. And <laughs> they were like, beautiful up there. So will we. Yep. <laughs> yeah. For anyone that's listening outside of Arizona, you have to understand that Williams is beautiful country. Mm -hmm. Gateway to the Grand Canyon too. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I've got to repeat though, what you just said, like I've done those things. I've been in Boston and New York and I'll take rural anytime. Like I, I think that's certainly a sentiment a lot of us can agree with. Yeah. I've got to still follow this question up, though, because you said I started into education with helping MBA students develop their writing. How did you become a high school teacher? Okay, great, <laughs> great question. So my mom actually was a teacher for 30 years. She taught elementary school and she had always said to me, um, you know, I think you would be you'd be a good teacher. And because my mom recommended it at the time, it's like, no, mom, I'm not going to do that. Right. You're a teenager trying to decide what you want to do with your life. And 
Um, so, you know, 20 years later, I finally listened to my mom um, and decided to go into teaching for a few reasons. I had always gravitated toward working with children and youth. So working at uh, the university where I was developing case studies, my favorite part was getting into the classroom and watching the professor teach those cases and then talking to the students about how it benefited them or what they would change about it. How could we improve the case study? Um, really just hearing how it helped them in their education. And then when we moved here to Arizona, I started working with United Way and I was working in their education programming, helping to manage grants, visiting early child care centers, and really seeing how education was delivered from pre-K on up through 12th grade. And I always found myself wanting to be in the classroom. So then everywhere else I ended up working while I was in Arizona because I bounced around a lot when I first moved here. I had a young child. Um, I wasn't quite sure where I was fitting in out here. Um, so I kept kind of trying out different positions and ended up at Nestle Purina as their education manager. Well, we developed a STEM education program in partnership with uh, Flagstaff Unified School District, particularly at Sanawa Middle School with Jillian Worsom, an outstanding science teacher there, who wanted to bring scientists into the classroom. So as part of that program, we got to go in and teach the students how pet food was made. And we used Play-Doh Fun Factories to explain this really complex process of extruding pet food. And I just, I loved it. I wanted to go in every <laughs> single time. I wanted to be with the kids. And then I would go back to my office job and I would be like, I really miss being in the classroom with the kids. <laughs> and I'd volunteer in my son's classroom as much as possible. So I just had one of those aha moments when I hit my mid thirties that maybe I'm a teacher. I would and say. That's, yeah, that's what I did. So I went back and got my teaching certificate um, through Rio Salado College. They were outstanding. I did it over two years, was able to take classes in the evening. Williams took me on as an intern. So they took a big chance on me. Um, I had no real teaching experience at all, just the passion for it and some related experience. So they took me on under the intern certificate while I got my teaching certificate. And then they hired me on when I completed that program. Hmm. Did you ever consider working outside of a rural community? I mean, your Williams is not far from um, an urban center, which is Phoenix and the outlying areas around that. I mean, you could have driven. Um, right. Why did you decide to stay? Obviously, you live there. But what other reasons um, were part of your decision around staying in a rural community? I actually wanted Williams. So I kept at I kept at it. I kept asking the district, "Did you do you need anyone? Would you take on an intern? Because I had started teaching in Flagstaff and Flagstaff is wonderful. And Phoenix has its advantages. And like you said, major cities have their advantages. I particularly wanted Williams because I absolutely love this community and I love how small this town is. You know everybody. Um, everybody comes together when there is a challenge to overcome. You see the same people at Safeway. You see them at the football game later that night after you've chatted with them at Safeway about how their son or daughter's doing in your class. Mm -hmm. I love that part about our small town. So I actually fought really hard to get into this district. And I want, I'm really grateful to our past superintendent, Rick Hansinger, for taking a chance on me and, and hiring me on and listening to all my emails. Like, who's this crazy lady emailing me about <laughs> teaching, student teaching in Williams? And he took a chance on me. So I'm grateful for that. That's fantastic. I'm not sure if I answered your question well enough. Oh, I think that's a great answer. Okay. 
And I think, again, it, there's a lot of these that I think a lot of us really strongly relate to. When I did this interview, that was part of my answer. Rural means that people come together yeah. in the crisis and they support. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and to celebrate, too. Celebrate our successes. You know, when I got the Teacher of the Year Award, the um, entire student body, we did like a little hallway parade. And they were just dancing through the halls with me <laughs> celebrating. I couldn't get through Safeway without parents coming up to hug me. And it, you just felt so much love and support coming out of this community for all of us. That's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. So um, teaching in a rural setting has unique challenges and opportunities. What are some of the challenges you've encountered as a rural teacher and how have you overcome that? I think that logistical challenges have been the trickiest, especially when we had the COVID shutdown. So distance is tough when you have kids who are riding a bus an hour away each way, um, because we have kids coming as far away as the Grand Canyon area. Mm -hmm. So covering the distance, physical distance is a challenge for us and for our families. Uh, Also access. So access to internet. Um, When you give homework, I've learned you have to prepare assignments several different ways. Uh, You cannot send a kid home with an online assignment who lives in Valley. (laughs) There's no internet service. So you have to make sure that they have what they need in order to succeed. And that's, that's been a challenge and something I've learned over the past six years, how to really make sure um, how to provide what the student and families are going to need in order to meet the objective that you're giving. Mm -hmm. And and beyond your classroom as a teacher, Allison, there are typically issues that um, rural educators face, whether mm. it's at the district level or maybe it's a region. And you talked about a couple of them that we tend to face here in Arizona, which is broadband being an issue, right. as well as distances for transportation. Um, what are some of the other greater challenges that are facing rural education here in our state? Well, I think a big one is our teacher retention and recruitment, uh, affordability and access of housing for teachers, staff, and families and students. Mm-hmm. We are the gateway to the Grand Canyon, so we're, we don't have a lot of available housing. The housing that's available is often um, purchased and, and made into a rental, like a vacation rental, so that shrinks our available real estate. We are looking as a district at um, a teacher housing initiative. So hopefully we'll be able to have some houses for teachers and staff set aside because we do end up finding quality candidates trying to hire and recruit them. And then the biggest challenge is they want the job, but they can't find housing. Talk a little bit more about that. What does that look like for your Mm -hmm. district? So the, the, Housing prices here, um, probably the lowest I've seen in town recently, and we keep an eye on this, my husband and I, uh, about four and a quarter for a 1,000 square foot house. So $425,000, that's out of reach for a lot of us. It's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But it can happen for someone from out of state who's maybe looking for a second home. And I have no issue with the second homeowner community or the Airbnb community because we rely on tourism. So it's one of those double-edged swords. It's that we need the tourism to support our community. And at the same time, it shrinks our housing market for Mm -hmm. our families, students, and our employees. Yeah. That it's yeah. not the first time we've heard that, is it, Ty? I mean, housing has been a perennial issue um in a lot of parts of rural, not just Arizona. And yeah. I think both parts of that are very relevant too, because there's a general shortage 
And I think that's across America. Mm-hmm. We don't build houses as rapidly or as consistently as we used to. Like right. that was part of the boom era years after the war, right? Was to go through and build track homes and make homes available and affordable to people. Mm-hmm. And we just don't do that anymore. Exactly. Yeah. And but, I'll bring in too um, <clears throat> something that uh, rural sociologist Ben Winchester has has done research on is that uh, people are living longer and they're staying in their homes longer, especially exactly. in those rural communities where they typically would have at a certain age moved in with a family member or moved to a place that had uh, medical care facilities or those kinds of things. And they're staying because right. they're healthy. Right. <laughs> so those homes aren't aren't open up to the community at large. Exactly. You know, Wilcox is funny too. And it's the exact same story you said. Uh, I can't, I'm sharing this because I feel like what you said is a very affirming thing for rural people to hear. And I'm just trying to confirm that in my own experience. We had a number of ranchers who really hit big before that last bubble happened. Mm -hmm. And it's become a thing around here that I think people list their houses, even when they don't want to sell, just trying to hit that lottery, right? Sure. It's funny because me and my wife have a great house. It's not like we're looking to move. It'd be nice to have a little bit more floor space sometimes. And sure. there's a house, like we know what it looks like. We've been in it and seen it. And and they listed it for 800000 a week ago. Wow. It is a $250,000 house at best. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> but it, yeah. it's, there's, it's there's a really tipped market right now. And so, like you said, some people have the capital to invest in things like tourism houses. Exactly. It, it does. While we need that business and that industry, it does make it hard for people to live in the communities. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, and we don't have like an urban area it would have maybe more apartment buildings or condos or we don't have that in the rural areas. And I don't know about in your areas, but in Williams, we have very few apartment complexes, maybe one or two. So it's not like that's an option either. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's funny you say that because that's something that we... um have just started seeing in Wilcox. There's been a few companies build like duplexes and, and small things, but making more houses available. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So I heard you start to talk about this question earlier, but I want to pin you down a little bit more. Okay. We always talk about teachers having lots of different hats, lots yeah. of different duties. I, like, I think you need to tell us again, all the different things you teach. <laughs> And then all the things you do outside of your classroom as well. Okay. I'll start with everything I teach because I just had this conversation in the hall today with a substitute teacher who has been here often and we had a chance to talk in the hall. And he said, so what exactly do you teach? Because he saw the different grade levels coming and going in my room. I said, okay, I teach juniors. And for juniors, I teach English language arts, uh, two sections of that, a section of ELA honors, for semester one, and then that becomes college composition to get them college credit through the CLEP assessment in semester two. And then for seniors, I teach economics and government. So he said, so that's about four or five preps. And I said, yeah, about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's a half and half position. And they actually created it last year because we only only had one history teacher and two ELA teachers who were sharing that burden. So until they created this half and half position is what they were calling it. Two people did all of what I just said, in, in addition to freshman, sophomore and senior English language arts. So 
I, I provided a little um, relief, <laughs> I think, for for them. But and at the same time, you you just have to manage wearing all of those hats and, and switching back and forth between the classes you're teaching and really being efficient at your time management. I was going to defend, even though that's a half and half. You still have to prepare both of those. That, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. So now tell us about the things you do beyond the classroom. So at the middle school, when I first started, I think I was just so excited and gung-ho. I took on all of the things. And uh, that was probably not the best way to jump in the year one, but it was an amazing experience to get to coach basketball. So I coached mm-hmm. girls and boys basketball. I coached cross country. Um, I taught the gifted education program on my prep hour. I formed a club called the Explorers Club because the students wanted to get out and have experiences. So our Explorers Club, we took trips maybe once um, once a month, twice a quarter. We went to the Pioneer Museum in Flagstaff. We hiked to um, Keyhole Sink in Parks, which is this beautiful slot canyon. And we had a Forest Service ranger kind of lead our hike and explain the history of it. So we had all these wonderful experiences. Um, long story short, I realized I couldn't do all all of the things all the time and go to night school and teach kids and raise my family, my own family. So I started to really focus on what's what are my objectives and what are my goals for the students. And so where I landed now is I've backed off of coaching. I still am a super fan. I go to the games, cheer loudly and embarrassingly for them, um, but I no longer coach. And instead, i I still sponsor a club at the high school. So I love that club sponsorship because every student needs a place to belong. So that's a passion of mine, making sure that students have opportunities to belong somewhere. So I run right now what's called the social club. And their mission is to just make sure everyone has a place where they can have a friend. So we meet once a week at lunch. We plan activities. We're planning after-school outings. Um, It's just a wonderful group of young people who want to make sure others feel accepted and welcomed. So I do currently do that. And then I sit on our accreditation committee. I've sat on our site council committee, our curriculum committee. I'm probably forgetting things. Sure. (laughs) A lot of hats. Yeah, a lot of hats. And I think over the six years I've been in the district, you want to do all the things and you see the need for all of the things to get done, but to prevent burnout and to make sure that you have, um, it's a marathon, right? Teaching, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a runner, I use a lot of running metaphors. I wasn't going to make the marathon if I didn't focus more on outcomes and what I really want to dedicate time to for the students. I'm going to beg that you don't give up that welcome club because that sounds fantastic. (laughs) They're a great group of kids. We just did a uh, world kindness day activity where they are our new English teacher. She's wonderful. She's co-sponsoring with me this year, Ms. Espinoza. She had them do all these positive post-its and we stuck them all over the school. It took us maybe 20 minutes, but people are stopping and looking at these messages and they're smiling about them. So it's just this, wonderful little group of people who wants to spread kindness. Uh, that has the potential to really go a long ways though, mm-hmm. and, and to save a lot of lives while, if we're being honest. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about mental health in that group. And a lot of the kids have someone to talk to in their friends who are in that group about their struggles. 
So it's interesting you mentioned that, Ty, because that comes up frequently in some of our group meetings. And it's not even when I'm sitting there and, and doing the activity with them. It's more like, okay, they're eating lunch together, talking, planning activities, and then they'll be talking to one another about their struggles. That's mm. wonderful. Great yeah. way to set up a platform for them to have an opportunity to do that. And they've really made it their own. I said to them, all I do is give you a room and a, a sponsor. You guys are doing it. <laughs> so I have to give them a gonna, lot of credit. That was what I was going to throw in there is that you've made it like very peer driven. Mm-hmm. Right. Mean, that's a super effective way to do so. Mm-hmm. Well, thank we you. certainly know they don't want to talk to me about what the challenges are. <laughs> well, same. I'm like, I know it's hard to talk to adults sometimes. So I'm just going to walk away and you guys do your thing. And if you need me, here I am over here to support you. And now a word from our sponsor. So Allison, one of the questions that Ty and I absolutely love because we get a variety of responses is around the expression rural advantage. I looked that up actually. <laughs> <laughs> I just I I think it really quantifies what we believe to be true about rural is that there is an advantage to being rural. So what are those unique opportunities that you have as a rural teacher, as well as a rural community member? It's a great question. And I actually, I did some research on the rural advantage and what are people saying that the rural advantage is, because I still kind of doubt myself sometimes when I think about speaking about what I do and my philosophy, because I'm so used to being in my classroom in my four walls that I Mm -hmm. think, well, is what I think what really is happening or what others think too? So the rural advantage and and how I see it is that small town approach that you really, really know your students and families. I know when a student is homeless. I know they're not going to be able to turn in their work on time. And I also keep, you know, we keep snacks, we keep um, supplies for them. They may not always come out and tell you right away, but you know, because you observe so much through the community. I I love knowing all their stories. I love knowing their families. I've had um, several siblings come through my classroom where I've had their older brother, older sister. It just creates a strong familial bond with your students and families that they do feel like your family. Mm. And and that's important. I think all of us, um, we talk about how hard school can be. A lot of my students are tired. They're struggling. They're stressed. They're working two jobs after school. I see them working their jobs after school. So we can relate to one another. Um, I have a second job on the weekends and some of my students see me there and they know, okay, Miss M's working too. So there's just this, I don't really know how to describe it or if I'm describing it well. It's just this complete cohesion with our students and families and understanding on a personal level of what we're going through. Also, I think the wearing the different hat things, it can be a challenge, but it also can be a blessing because never would I have thought I could coach basketball and lead a club and take the kids on a trip somewhere. I mean, you get so many opportunities in a rural school that it can be viewed as just that opportunity for growth. Well said. Like you said, Melissa, it's always so wonderful to hear the different way people talk about the rural advantage. And I'm really glad that you gave us your take on it because I was afraid you were starting to tell us what others are saying. I try to cut myself off because then I have that imposter syndrome sometimes like, oh, I worry sometimes that what I think and see is wrong, right? And I think that's a very human 
thing to feel. And especially as someone who's new to speaking about education outside of my classroom, it's a fear I have. So I kind of fact check myself and then I I put it away and I was like, no, Allie, just tell them what you think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, know, I'm going to say like, there is a reason you were selected as the Arizona Rural Teacher of the Year. And when you say that you see something that's wrong, you see something that's wrong. Right. I, I tell my kids when, so I'm a science teacher and I love when my kids do science fair projects. And the truth is our kids come up with novel solutions because they're not stuck in the way it's always been done. Mm-hmm. True. I want you to value what your experience is as a new educator because you have insights and you have different angles that people who have been part of the system for so long need to consider giving up and changing. Oh, thank you. And those may be unpopular in some discussions, but that's part of why we talk about the value of diversity. True. Bringing in a different angle and a, a different approach to what you what you see as a need and a challenge is the kind of thing that's going to help all of us get better. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, so your whole thing about the imposter syndrome, like it's real. I can't take that away from you. But I want you to recognize that you were selected for a reason and you're deserving of this. Oh, and thank you. Got, you see things like that. That's why we're asking you here. I said at the beginning of this, I don't want to miss this interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. So I I always, like me and Melissa fight over these questions sometimes because I love the role advantage question, but I also get the privilege of asking this one. Okay. I don't want to hear about that story, that moment. Maybe there's more than one that you've knew like, yeah, this is why I'm a teacher. That aha moment that like, this is what it's all about. There are so many. And as I was thinking about this one, I thought of two really different examples. Um, One happened with one individual student and family, and it was about the impact that you have in a rural community beyond your classroom. So during COVID, we had been taking buses out to our community to drop off homework and food, as I'm sure a lot of other rural communities did. And I just couldn't stand not seeing my students and making sure they were okay. So I would ride that bus with our bus driver and some of the paras who were helping to deliver everything and just making sure the kids were okay. And, hey, how are you doing, bud? Is you, do you need any help with that last week homework packet? Um, and I remember with one kid in particular, he was just bored and he didn't have a lot going on. So I said, all right, I'm going to bring you some games next time I see you. So I brought him a chessboard. I told our superintendent about it. He gave me a checkerboard for this kiddo because he wanted to play a game with his dad. Well, I ended up having him again in high school last year. So that that was back when he would have been an eighth grader, this student. And at one day at lunch, I'm going to cry a little bit because when I think about this kiddo, he was like, hey, Miss M, you want to play chess? And I was like, you want to play chess with me? He's like, remember when you brought me that chess board? And I, I about cried in front of him because I was like, you remember that? And, and now you love chess because someone brought you a chess board during COVID, right? But if I hadn't gotten on the bus and saw that, you know, he was struggling and needed something to do, I wouldn't have had that moment with him in the classroom where it was, it was an aha moment about the long-term impact that you have on students because day-to-day sometimes you can just shake your head and wonder, like, did any of that get through? Do they do they understand Walt Whitman today? And will, you know, so it's you wonder if anything registered. 
And he was a chess fanatic. Like he was in the chess club by that time. And it was just mm-hmm. a really amazing um, tie-in to something that had happened in a momentary exchange on a bus during COVID. Hey, Dr. Sadorf, I've just got to say, that takes me right back to uh, San Filippo. This spoke to us in, in Chattanooga yeah. is you never know which moment is going to live with those kids, but that moment is going to live with that kid for another 40 years too. Right. Exactly. He's going to be an old man. He's going to be telling stories about the That's teacher right. who brought him that. The chessboard. And then the other is um, something that I have really tried to commit to ever since I had this aha moment as an educator, I wanted to take the students out more and and do things that were more experiential, getting them a real world connection with what we were learning. So I started working with our local justice courts probably about four years ago now on a mock trial. And I started doing this with my eighth grade social studies class just to say, hey, we're studying Tinker versus Des Moines. Can I put a mock trial on in the courthouse so they can simulate what it would have been like to have a Supreme Court trial? I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I didn't know how to run a mock trial. The kids were so excited. We practiced on a simple story first. We took a character from Edgar Allan Poe, and we put that character on trial to warm up for this big Tinker versus Des Moines trial. When we got to the courthouse, it was such an amazing experience. The judge was in his full uh, regalia, right? He was in his, he had his gavel. He had everything ready for them. We had a bailiff, we had court clerks, we had a jury, and the kids were amazing. They put on this rock star mock trial um, and then it was done. And they were like, Miss M, can we do the other one? Can we stay longer and do the Edgar Allan Poe one too? And I was like, you want to do more classwork? (laughs) Okay, let's do that. Um, It was just, they were just so energized being out in that setting and doing something meaningful. We studied the court case, they reenacted it, and then they got to really understand the impact of it. So now we've done that every single year, and I'm still doing it now that I'm teaching at the high school with our seniors. And it's grown into this community event, which is amazing thing. Another amazing thing about rural, you do something and everyone steps up. They're like, how can we help? Oh, we want to do this with you. Now it's become an entire day. It's called Law Day. They bring in vendors wow. from all over the county. They bring in the um, the rescue helicopter. They bring in the canine unit and they do a demonstration on the canine in the suit where the canine latches on. And the kids, they love all of this. And they're interacting with people in these professions. Then they go inside and they put on their mock trial. Then they have a barbecue for us. It's just been outstanding to see the response from the community to something that started with me going, can we come to the courthouse and try to put on this mock trial? We don't know what we're doing, <laughs> but can you help us with it? Mm-hmm. And that that was just so such a moment for me because sometimes those things can be unwieldy and hard to manage and hard to plan. And you're wondering how you're going to pull it off. And I think it's just a leap of faith a lot of times. Just trust that process. People will step up. People will help. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It's learning. Right. Uh, So that's just a continual aha moment for me. Every time we do that, the kids then tell me, I want to be a lawyer now. I want to be a judge. I want to be a defense attorney or I want to be a prosecutor. So it's just amazing to see the response to that mock trial. So you've just given us some really solid examples about why you want to work in a rural community in a rural school. 
Okay. <laughs> so uh, tell us in your own words, what you would say to a teacher that was considering moving to rural, why they would want to consider that. I think if they love what I've just described, they love kids, they love the families of kids, and they're not going to mind seeing them everywhere they go and having parent-teaching conferences in the produce section of Safeway and really just getting to know everybody, um, then I would say that's for them. You know, the teaching part of what we do, I always say to my kids, I hope you learn something from me in the classroom, but what I really hope is that you know that you're cared for. And I think that's what we do. In rural, we care for them. Well, and, and I think that goes to the school is the heart of the community. It's the hub. It and uh, it's definitely a place where um, not only is there learning happening, but there's uh, care, compassion, and kindness happening as well. And, and there's a lot of successes. So when they have that moment where they have just rocked a mock trial in Williams, they they stand up taller mm-hmm. and they say, oh, we can do these hard things, even though we're rural, right? And I'm like, no, we can do these hard things and we're rural. <laughs> <laughs> I like that change of focus. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes they feel that. They feel like, oh, we don't have what Flagstaff has or we don't have what Phoenix has. And I we say, well, what can we do with what we have? You know, you can still have the best quality education you can get right here in this classroom by working hard, by being engaged, by taking a risk, Mm -hmm. trying new things. So I know we didn't really present this question to you ahead of time, but I've I've just got to talk to you about it. I'm curious. You've been invited to be a part of the Borderlands Rural Teacher Caucus. It's We've invited a bunch of the teachers that have come up as finalists, and it's an opportunity for us as teacher leaders to sort of go out and collect data from rural schools, rural leaders, both inside and outside of the classroom, so that we can take that information and then engage in advocacy to promote the needs our rural schools face and and to come up with strategies for overcoming those challenges. I'm curious, like, how much of that advocacy have you done before? How excited are you? I'm curious to be a part of that. So I took a leap of faith of my own after our first meeting, and I actually went to our governing board meeting, and I wrote a statement. I read it to them, and I offered to assist in any way I could through our work together on the caucus with our issues in WUSD, one being teacher retention. So I just stood up. I used my voice. I had a pre-written statement. And after the meeting, I had two board members come and approach me and say, you know, thank you for doing that and for being here. And I would love to work with you on this. And and maybe we can put our heads together and put our research together and our efforts and try to solve some of these challenges we're having. So particularly, uh, we were talking about teacher housing at that that meeting. And I had then since emailed Melissa and, and let her know, hey, the board members I spoke with want to know if we have any data or information. So now I'm kind of serving as a liaison between our board and the caucus. And at first, uh, the thought of standing up again and and being an advocate, if you put a title to it, it's a little bit intimidating. Mm-hmm. So I think what I have to keep reminding myself of doing is just doing what I do best, which is I don't I take my work very seriously, but I don't overthink myself or take myself very seriously. So I get up and I speak from the heart usually. And I just did that and it worked out. So that was my first test and starting local. And I'd like to do more of it. I just don't know 
for what area, like where I could put efforts that would be most impactful. So that's what I'm hoping to learn through my work with the caucus. I'm really hoping to learn first, be a student first, before I go out and try to teach and lead about it, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It absolutely does. Mm -hmm. All I'm going to say is that's what's going to make you a great advocate. (laughs) (laughs) In the noise work I do, like that's a big part of our model is that um, listening is a form of leadership. Right. And so taking on that role to listen and learn. And it's like, so you started with issues that you know are addressed or need to be addressed. Well, and the but other the, thing too is that you are uh, a storyteller and advocacy at its finest is the art of telling your story to influencers and policymakers and ensuring that they have the correct information to uh, make decisions with that might have an impact on your rural school. That's a good point, Melissa. Mm-hmm. You're the expert. So, is there anything that we have not covered, Allison, that you want to make sure that you uh, bring to the surface? I can't think of anything at the moment. I usually think of things to add after the fact. I am a pretty reflective, introspective person. So I'll go back and think and think, and then I'll say, I should have said these other three things. (laughs) So if there's a part two, (laughs) give me a call. (laughs) Yeah, we could certainly do a part two. You're you're not off the hook yet, especially as a a teacher of the year. We're going to have you come back and uh, make sure that we connect with you again. Anything else, Ty? No, like I said, I knew this was going to be a good one. I think this has been very entertaining. So, Allison, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I really appreciated getting a chance to know more about you and your rural community and your rural story. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa and Ty. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to The Rural Scoop. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, or even leave us a comment. And be sure to follow on Twitter at Dr. Sadorf. That's D-R underscore S-A-D-O-R-F so that you never miss a new release. You can also check out previous episodes of The Scoop wherever you get your podcasts. Production support for The Rural Scoop is provided by Chattanooga Podcast Studios. Find out more at ChattanoogaPodcastStudios.com. See you next time for more great discussions about rural education. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.